Chapter Fifteen of Ziska by Marie Corelli. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ilianthi. The next day broke with a bright, hot glare over the wide desert, and the sky, in its cloudless, burning blue, had more than its usual appearance of limitless and awful immensity. The Sphinx and the Pyramids alone gave a shadow and a substance to the dazzling and transparent air. All the rest of the visible landscape seemed naught save a far-stretching ocean of glittering sand, scorched by the blazing sun. Dr. Maxwell Dean rose early and went down to the hotel breakfast in a somewhat depressed frame of mind. He had slept badly, and his dreams had been unpleasant, when not actually ghastly, and he was considerably relieved, though he could not have told why, when he saw his young friend Denzil Murray seated at the breakfast-table, apparently enjoying an excellent meal. "'Hello, Denzil,' he exclaimed cheerily. "'I hardly expected you down yet. Are you better?' "'Thanks, I am perfectly well,' said Denzil, with a careless air. "'I thought I would breakfast early, in order to drive into Cairo, before the day gets too sultry.' "'Into Cairo?' echoed the doctor. "'Why, aren't you going to stay here a few days?' "'No, not exactly,' answered Denzil, stirring his coffee quickly, and beginning to swallow it in large gulps. "'I shall be back to-night, though. I'm only going just to see my sister, and tell her to prepare for our journey home. I shan't be absent more than a few hours.' "'I thought you might possibly like to go a little further up the Nile,' suggested the doctor. "'Oh, no, I've had enough of it. "'You see, when a man proposes to a woman and gets refused, "'he can't keep on dangling round that woman "'as if he thought it possible she might change her mind.' "'And he forced a smile. "'I've got an appointment with Gervaise tomorrow morning, "'and I must come back tonight in order to keep it. "'But after that, I'm off.' "'An appointment with Gervaise?' repeated the doctor slowly. "'What sort of an appointment?' Denzil avoided his keen look. "'Really, doctor, you are getting awfully inquisitive,' he exclaimed with a hard laugh. "'You want to know altogether too much.' "'Yes, I always do. It is a habit of mine,' responded Dr. Dean calmly. "'But in the present case, it doesn't need much perspicuity to fathom your mystery. The dullest clodhopper will tell you he can see through a millstone when there's a hole in it, and I was always a good hand at putting two and two together, and making four out of them. You and Gervaise are in love with the same woman. The woman has rejected you, and is encouraging Gervaise. Gervaise, you think, will on this very night be in the position of the accepted lover, for which successful fortune attending him, you, the rejected one, propose to kill him tomorrow morning if you can, unless he kills you and you are going to Cairo to get your pistols, or whatever weapons you have arranged to fight with, and also to say good-bye to your sister. Denzil kept his eyes fixed studiously on the tablecloth, and made no answer. However, continued the doctor complacently, you can have it all your own way as far as I am concerned. I never interfere in these sort of matters. I should do no good if I attempted it, "'Besides, I haven't the slightest anxiety on your behalf, not the slightest. "'Waiter, some more coffee, please.' "'Upon my word,' exclaimed Denzil, with a fretful laugh, "'you are a most extraordinary man, doctor.' "'I hope I am,' retorted the doctor. 
to be merely ordinary would not suit my line of ambition. This is very excellent coffee. Here he peered into the fresh pot of the fragrant beverage just set before him. They make it better here than at the Gezira Palace. Well, Denzil, my boy, when you get into Cairo, give my love to Helen, and tell her we'll all go home to the old country together. I myself have got quite enough out of Egypt this time to satisfy my fondness for new experiences, and let me assure you, my good fellow, that your proposed duel with Gervaise will not come off. It will come off, said Denzil, with sudden fierceness. By heaven it shall, it must. More wills than one have the working out of our destinies, answered Dr. Dean, with some gravity. Man is not by any means supreme. He imagines he is, but that is only one of his many little delusions. You think you will have your way. Gervaise thinks he will have his way. I think I will have my way. But as a matter of fact, there is only one person in this affair whose way will be absolute, and that person is the Princess Ziske. C'est quoi femme vaut Dieu vaut. She has nothing whatever to do with the matter, declared Denzil. Pardon? She has everything to do with it. She is the cause of it, and she knows it, and as I have already told you, your proposed fight will not come off, and the little doctor smiled serenely. There is your carriage at the door, I suppose. Off with you, my boy. Be off like a whirlwind, and return here armed to the teeth, if you like. You have heard the expression, fighting the air. That is what you will do tomorrow morning. And apparently, in the best of all possible humours, Dr. Dean accompanied his young friend to the portico of the hotel, and watched him drive off down the stately avenue of palm-trees, which now cast their refreshing shade on the entire route from the pyramids to Cairo. When he had fairly gone, the thoughtful savant surveyed the different tourists who were preparing to ascend the pyramids under the escort of their Arab guides, regardless of the risks they ran of dislocated arms and broken shoulder-bones, and in the study of the various odd types thus presented to him, he found himself fairly well amused. Protoplasm, mere protoplasm, he murmured, the germ of soul has not yet attained to individual consciousness in any one of these strange bipeds. Their thoughts are as jelly, their reasoning powers in embryo, their intellectual faculties barely perceptible, yet they are interesting, viewed in the same light and considered on the same scale as fish or insects merely, as men and women of course, they are misnomers, laughable impossibilities. Well, well, in the space of two or three thousand years, the protoplasm may start into form out of the void, and the fibres of a conscious intellectuality may sprout, but it will have to be in some other phase of existence, certainly not in this one. And now to shut myself up and write my memoranda, for I must not lose a single detail of this singular Egyptian psychic problem. The whole thing, I perceive, is rounding itself towards completion and catastrophe, but in what way, how will it, how can it end? And with a meditative frown puckering his brows, Dr. Dean folded his hands behind his back and retired to his own room, from whence he did not emerge all day. Armand Gervais, in the meanwhile, was making himself the life and soul of everything at the Mina House Hotel, 
he struck up an easy acquaintance with several of the visitors staying there, said pretty things to young women and pleasant things to old, and in the course of a few hours succeeded in becoming the most popular personage in the place. He accepted invitations to parties, and agreed to share in various excursions, till he engaged himself for every day in the coming week, and was so gay and gallant and fascinating in manner and bearing, that fair ladies lost their heart to him at a glance. And what amusement or pleasure there was at the meaner house seemed to be doubly enhanced by the mere fact of his presence. In truth, Gervaise was in a singular mood of elation and excitation. A strong inward triumph possessed him and filled his soul with an imperious pride and sense of conquest which, for the time being, made him feel as though he were a very king of men. There was nothing in his nature of the noble tenderness which makes the lover mentally exalt his beloved as a queen before whom he is content to submit his whole soul in worship. What he realised was merely this, that here was one of the most beautiful and seductive women ever created in the person of the Princess Siska, and that he, Gervaise, meant to possess that loveliest of women, whatever happened in the near or distant future, of her and of the influence of his passion on her personally, he did not stop to think, except with the curiously blind egotism which is the heritage of most men, and which led him to judge that her happiness would in some way or other be enhanced by his brief and fickle love. For as a rule, men do not understand love. They understand desire, amounting sometimes to merciless covetousness for what they cannot get, this is a leading natural characteristic of the masculine nature. But love, love that endures silently and faithfully through the stress of trouble and the passing of years, love which sacrifices everything to the beloved and never changes or falters, this is a divine passion which seldom or never sanctifies and inspires the life of a man. Women are not made of such base material, their love invariably springs first from the ideal, not the sensual, and if afterwards it develops into the sensual, it is through the rough and coarsening touch of man alone. Throughout the entire day, the Princess Ziska herself never left her private apartments, and towards late afternoon Gervaise began to feel the hours drag along with unconscionable slowness and monotony. Never did the sun seem so slow in sinking, Never did the night appear so far off, when at last dinner was served in the hotel, both Denzil Murray and Dr. Dean sat next to him at table, and, judging from outward appearances, the most friendly relations existed between all three of them. At the close of the meal, however, Denzil made a sign to Gervaise to follow him, and when they had reached a quiet corner said, "'I am aware of your victory. You have won where I have lost. But you know my intention.' "'Perfectly,' responded Gervaise, with a cold smile. "'By heaven,' went on the younger man, in accents of suppressed fury, "'if I yielded to the temptation which besets me "'when I see you standing there facing me "'with your easy and self-satisfied demeanour, "'when I know that you mean dishonour where I meant honour, "'when you have had the effrontery to confess to me "'that you only intend to make the Princess Ziska your mistress, "'when I would have made her my wife,' God, I could shoot you dead at this moment. 
Gervaise looked at him steadily, still smiling slightly, then gradually the smile died away, leaving his countenance shadowed by an intense melancholy. "'I can quite enter into your feelings, my dear boy,' he said. "'And do you know, I'm not sure that it would not be a good thing if you were to shoot me dead. My life is of no particular value to anybody, certainly not to myself, and I begin to think I've been always more or less of a failure. I have won fame, but I have missed something.' but upon my word, I don't quite know what. He sighed heavily, then suddenly held out his hand. Denzil, the bitterest foes shake hands before fighting each other to the death, as we propose to do tomorrow. It is a civil custom, and hurts no one. I should like to part kindly from you tonight. Denzil hesitated, then something stronger than himself made him yield to the impulsive note of strong emotion in his former friend's voice, and the two men's hands met in a momentary silent grasp. Then Denzil turned quickly away. "'Tomorrow morning at six, he said briefly, close to the Sphinx. "'Good night,' responded Gervaise. "'The Sphinx shall second us both, and see fair play.' "'Good night, Denzil.' "'Good night,' responded Denzil, coldly, as he moved on and disappeared. A slight shiver ran through Gervaise's blood as he watched him depart. "'Odd that I should imagine I have seen the last of him,' he murmured. "'There are strange portents in the air of the desert, I suppose. "'Is he going to his death, or am I going to mine?' Again the cold tremor shook him, and combating with his uneasy sensations, he went to his own apartment, there to await the expected summons of the princess. No triumph filled him now, no sense of joy elated him. A vague fear and dull foreboding were all the emotions he was conscious of. Even his impatient desire of love had cooled, and he watched the darkening of night over the desert, and the stars shining out one by one in the black azure of the heavens, with a gradually deepening depression. A dreamy sense stole over him of remoteness or detachment from all visible things, as though he were suddenly and mysteriously separated from the rest of humankind by an invisible force which he was powerless to resist. He was still lost in this vague half-torpor, or semi-conscious reverie, when a light tap startled him back to the realisation of earth and his earthly surroundings. In response to his entrees, the tall Nubian, whom he had seen in Cairo, as the guardian of the princess's household, appeared, his repulsive features looking, if anything, more ghastly and hideous than ever. "'Madame la princesse demande votre présence,' said this unlovely attendant of one of the fairest of women. Suavez moi Without a moment's hesitation or loss of time, Gervaise obeyed, and allowing his guide to precede him at a little distance, followed him through the corridors of the hotel, out of the hall door and beyond, through the garden. A clock struck ten as they passed into the warm evening air, and the mellow rays of the moon were beginning to whiten the sides of the great pyramid. A few of the people staying in the hotel were lounging about, but these paid no particular heed to Gervaise or his companion, 
At about two hundred yards from the entrance of the Mina house, the Nubian stopped, and waited till Gervaise came up with him. "'Madame la princesse vous ami, Monsieur Gervaise,' he said, with a sarcastic grin, "'mais avec quoi les amours sont toujours envergués ou toujours ces destins disquisants appel, il fait sommetre les amours sans yeux, oui, en fine, comme car and before Gervaise could utter a word of protest or demand the meaning of this strange proceeding, his arms were suddenly seized and pinioned behind his back, his mouth gagged and his eyes blindfolded. Maintenant, continued the Nubian, nous irons ensemble. Choked and mad with rage, Gervaise for a few moments struggled furiously as well as he was able with his powerful captor. All sorts of ideas surged in his brain. The Princess Siska might, with all her beauty and fascination, be nothing but the ruler of a band of robbers and murderers. Who could tell? Yet reason did not wholly desert him in extremity, for even while he tried to fight for his liberty, he remembered that there was no good to be gained out of taking him prisoner. He had neither money nor valuables nothing which could excite the cupidity of even a starving Bedouin. As this thought crossed his brain, he ceased his struggles abruptly, and stood still, panting for breath, when suddenly a sound of singing floated towards him. Oh, for the pure cold heart of the lotus lily, a star above is its only love, and one brief sigh of its scented breath is all it will ever know of death. Oh, for the passionless heart of the lotus lily! He listened, and all power of resistance ebbed slowly away from him. He became perfectly passive, almost apathetic, and yielding to the somewhat rough handling of his guide, allowed himself to be urged with silent rapidity onward over the thick sand, till he presently became conscious that he was leaving the fresh open air, and entering a building of some sort, for his feet pressed hard earth, and stone instead of sand. All at once he was forcibly brought to a standstill, and a heavy rolling noise and clang, like distant muttered thunder, resounded in his ears, followed by dead silence. Then his arm was closely grasped again, and he was led on, on and on, along what seemed to be an interminable distance, for not a glimmer of light could be seen under the tight folds of the bandage across his eyes. Presently the earth shook under him, some heavy substance was moved, and there was another booming thunderous noise, accompanied by the falling of chains. C'est l'escalier de Madame la Princesse, said the Nubian. Pres de la chambre nuptiale, descendez vite. Down, down, resistance was useless. Even had he cared to resist, for he felt as though twenty pairs of hands instead of one were pushing him violently on all sides. Down, still down he went, dumb, blind and helpless, till at last he was allowed to stop and breathe. His arms were released, the bandage was taken from his eyes, the gag from his mouth. He was free, free, yes, but where? Thick darkness encompassed him, he stretched out his hands in the murky atmosphere, and felt nothing. Ziska, 
he cried. The name sprang up against the silence and struck out numberless echoes, and with the echoes came a shuddering sigh that was not of them whispering, Charmazel. Gervaise heard it, and a deadly fear born of the supernatural possessed him. Ziska, Ziska, he called again wildly. Charmazel, answered the penetrating unknown voice, and as it thrilled upon the air like a sob of pain, a dim light began to shine through the gloom, waveringly at first, then more steadily, till it gradually spread wide, illuminating with a pale and spectral light the place in which he found himself, a place more weird and wondrous than any mystic scene in dreamland. He stumbled forward giddily, utterly bewildered, staring about him like a man in delirium, and speechless with mingled horror and amazement. He was alone, utterly alone, in a vast square chamber, the walls and roof of which were thickly patterned and glistening with gold. Squares of gold were set in the very pavement on which he trod, and at the farthest end of the chamber a magnificent sarcophagus of solid gold, encrusted with thousands upon thousands of jewels, which were set upon it in marvellous and fantastic devices, glittered and flashed with the hues of living fire. Golden cups, golden vases, a golden suit of armour, bracelets and chains of gold intermixed with gems were heaped up against the walls and scattered on the floor and a round shield of ivory inlaid with gold together with a sword in a jewelled sheath were placed in an upright position against the head of the sarcophagus from whence all the spectral and mysterious light seemed to emerge with thickly beating heart and faltering pulses gervaise still advanced gazing half entranced half terrified at the extraordinary and sumptuous splendour surrounding him muttering almost unconsciously as he moved along a king's sepulchre a warrior's tomb how came i here and why is this a trysting place for love as well as death and will she come to me he recoiled suddenly with a violent start, for there, like a strange spirit of evil, risen from the ground, leaning against the great gold sarcophagus, her exquisite form, scarcely concealed by the misty white of her draperies, her dark hair hanging like a cloud over her shoulders, and her black eyes aflame with wrath, menace, and passion, stood the mysterious Ziska. End of chapter 15